Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the UConn Football Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm joined by Tucker Warner and Luke Swanson. Hopefully, you guys know the drill by now. This is our fourth podcast. Yay to us. Uh, hopefully, you've enjoyed the first few episodes uh, and, and our articles. We just started previewing the position groups offensively. We went through in the newsletter uh, the quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. Today, we're going to go over the UConn offense and what our expectations are from it this year. Um, of course, a lot of question marks. It's a new staff. It's a new offensive coordinator, potentially a new quarterback. We're going to go into all of that uh, for, for this year's team to start. Tucker, just, just remind us, what, what was the UConn offense like in, in 2021 last year? Bad. Uh, I think we can kind of sum it up with one word there. So the offense last season had some struggles. There was a lot of variability. Uh, basically, the same quarterback uh, was not playing as consistently as you'd like. A lot of switches at the position. And as I'm sure you all know, if you change a quarterback, you're going to change up your style of offense as well. So last year, I think that they did take a step forward from 2018 offensively. Just a very, very ble- uh, brief one. Uh, not a big step at all, but nonetheless, you could see a little bit of progress being made. Uh, hopefully that change, uh, that continues rather, uh, this upcoming season with, you know, Tyler Pumachan coming on strong, uh, take Roberson's potentially getting a lot of snaps as well. Whoever wins that quarterback competition is just going to bring the Yukon offense into the 21st century. Finally, I cannot wait for that to happen, but nonetheless, I think that, uh, from where we were last season won't even have that much of an effect on this upcoming one. And that should be seen as a positive. Luke, from your perspective, just if we talk about returning players from last year's team, who were some of those, who were some of the better players for the UConn offense last year, in your opinion? Well, UConn offense uh, last year in 2021, I think not, not only were the, uh, was the quarterback switching around. We also saw uh, some uh, some inconsistency on the skill players as well. Uh, Kevin Mensa famously uh, around a thousand yards from breaking Donald Brown's uh, rushing record for UConn uh, heading into the season. Uh, really, just found himself as more of a bit uh, bit player uh, in uh, in regards to uh, his role versus in previous years where he had over a thousand yards rushing in 2018 and 19 uh the freshman nate carter really stepped into that uh into that uh starting running back role they not totally different players but uh just enough to to sort of uh have him make the rushing attack a little bit more effective but uh, in terms of the quarterback we really just it's plain to say very substandard subpar quarterback play throughout the whole of the year yeah, I mean, I think the team, uh, like any one in eleven football team, the offense was uh, inconsistent. Uh, in in this very special case, it was also poorly run. We did see, to just be fair and and discuss some of the highlights, we did see them improve when Noel Mazzoni arrived as the de facto offensive coordinator, or whatever the heck you want to call his his job last year, uh, which I think is a promising sign for our whole improvement hypothesis here is okay the strategy improved and the team improved so there's there's something there Pomachan breaking out 
emerging as a legitimate talent under center is huge. That's an in-state product. His older brother was a, was an absolute stud who ended up going to Clemson uh, and then transferring. But, um, you know, t- having Tyler Pomachon is, is a, is really big. It's, it's part of the reason we feel good about the future of the most important position on the field for UConn in a position that's been, uh, that's always just tough to fill that, that starting QB job. Wide receiver Keelan Marion also had a, a breakout season of sorts, UConn adjusted standards. Um, again, as a, as a true freshman, that's, that's a strong amount of talent shown. He had good games against solid teams. Uh, and that's something where you can expect him to, to be able to really build on that. And then Luke, like you said, Nate Carter, assuming that um, starting running back duties, essentially, He's a he's a New York recruit recruit from a power program in the Rochester area. So good, you know, good on UConn for bringing in a regional talent. And again, if if he's on the younger side and he's really established there, uh, and, and so are some of the wide receivers. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but you can think, okay, if 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 we get to the point where Pumachan, Marion, Carter are seniors. Maybe this, you know, and they and they continue to build around it. Maybe this could be a good team in a in a couple of years or or a bullish team. So I, I think the highlights, you know, they, they were they were definitely few and far between. I would not have recommended watching UConn football in 2021 to to close friends or family uh, if they could avoid it. But there was something to gather from it. And this year, as we've discussed, for a lot of reasons, we we do expect it to be better. Um, Tucker, what are some of those reasons for you in terms of why you think 2022 will look better offensively? Uh, I will start by saying, I actually think the offensive line is going to be pretty key here. I know that we haven't seen a whole lot of, you know, consistency, especially from just within the starting unit in recent years, but I think that we finally have the depth to be able to move some guys around to where they're most effective instead of just putting our only five playable guys out there on the starting unit at any given point. Uh, definitely the the added depth that we've had on the O-line is, I think, going to be huge. I think we replaced a guy like Ryan Van Demark as well as we could by kind of filling in gaps here and there by improving the overall strength of the unit. And I think as anybody who saw the Super Bowl between the Bucks and the Chiefs a couple of years ago can tell you, offensive line is where you can make or break a game. Um, and I think that that's going to be a huge part of the uh, the picture going forward for UConn football this season is just seeing whether or not my prediction is correct. Uh, I think otherwise, we do have some talent coming back. I'm really excited to see what Matt Drayton can do. I hope he's recovered from his injury in full because he showed a lot of potential in even just a limited role in 2019. I know Cam Ross was the guy who got all the accolades because he did prove himself to be a true number one receiver as just a freshman. But Drayton looked very solid, too. And I think if you piece them together with the emergence of Keelan Marion, uh, Kevin's Clarcius maybe as the slot receiver coming off the bench or however you really want to handle it. That's four guys who we know are proven uh, contributors to the offense this year uh, with better health, which is never a guarantee. But as long as the luck changes in our favor just a little bit and we're not missing starters for the entire season, that means that some of the guys who were not really ready for starting roles, let's put it that way, uh, last season won't have to, they, they won't be asked to do as much 
And that really improves the course of an offense as well. So not to be the guy who keeps harping on depth, depth, depth all year, but really it's impossible to overstate how big of a problem that was in the last few seasons and how filling in that depth and getting rid of some of that shallowness that was plaguing the team in recent years is really going to change a lot of uh, the production just in and of itself. So even though we do have talent and I'm excited to see which of these guys are going to be the next ones to step out and become that breakout star, you know, just filling in those gaps is good enough. Yeah. I think I, a lot of what we talk about here is just getting UConn back up to that baseline. And I was uh, talking with uh, Amon about this recently, that so much of UConn's moves in the offseason can't really be judged in a vacuum. They have to be taken up with the context. And, and the context is, for uh, the past couple of years, we haven't really had 85 scholarship players. So it, when you take into that, into that account, that goes in hand in hand with what Tucker, you've been saying about the offensive line, just having guys who are FBS quality on the offensive line is big in and of itself. Even with a uh, uh, few, a uh, few guys who have gone on and made the NFL, like, uh, like Van DeMarc just leaving and that talent leaving, just having that baseline of talent there will be enough to, to show improvement. And I think that we're, we're kind of going to see that, Overall, with, with a couple of things that we talked about this episode, it's just getting back up to that baseline that UConn hasn't been operating at in, in so very long. Yeah, that's especially important on the offensive line, as, as you guys said. Um, and I echo the excitement for this receiver group. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. To just start at the top with the offense, another big change, of course, is that there's a new offensive coordinator. Uh, Nick Charlton hired over from Maine, where he was the head coach after previously holding the offensive coordinator title for one or two years. Charlton comes as a pretty solid name for UConn, given the, given the circumstances, again, back to Luke's point of just kind of being there. So with respect to a new offensive coordinator, new head coach, always a big question mark in terms of what to expect. Luke, what are your initial impressions of, of Charlton and what he might bring to the table? So Char- Charlton's sort of an enigma to me in terms of what type of offense he's going to bring in his, uh, in his uh, talks with media in the spring. He's kind of uh, reiterated the same sort of uh, jargon that a lot of new offensive coordinators say that he says uh, they want to run a pro-style offense that, similar to the Los Angeles Rams which to Same. me, it's not, I would also love to have a, a, a portion on 11, right? But we're not really going to find an offense at UConn that is similar to that, or even at a lot of FBS programs. So when it comes down to style, he's sort of shown that he can do a couple different things in his time at, at Maine. He's uh, been the, the architect behind some pretty decent passing attacks. Uh, especially in, uh, I think, yeah, 2019. And uh, when he when he was uh, a little later in his career and around, he, he's uh, had a couple more mobile quarterbacks that he's been able to work with at Maine. So I think that the latter would be a little bit more ap- applicable to uh, UConn with uh, 
uh, Pumachan and Robertson as uh, the, the two candidates for the starting job. But we really don't know a whole lot about what we're going to get because he, he's not really married to one system. So I, I think that he's uh, definitely a, a bright up and coming uh, coach. But in terms of what exactly or how exactly he's going to upgrade the offense, it's a little less clear. Tucker, how about you? Thoughts on what Carl Charlton brings to the table for as the head of the UConn offense? Yeah, one thing that I think might go understated right now, especially among fans that are mostly tuned into one particular team, is that fans of a particular fan base, anytime they get an upgrade uh, from somebody who clearly was not working correctly in that role, fans go crazy for it. They think that alone is reason for excitement. And even though I have a cautious optimism about Nick Charlton, I do also want to caution UConn fans that this might not work out the way that we expect it to. Now, the clearest way to make that difference is because Charlton's offense is going to be different than Frank Joffrey's. Uh, Frank Joffrey, just as an offensive coordinator, was not cutting it. Uh, he was a good offensive line coach. I'm happy we brought him in and got some NFL experience on the team and developed guys in that way. But the offense he ran was simply not meant for FBS football, especially with this roster. So if you pivot away from what he brought about as much as you possibly can, fans are going to immediately jump at, this guy's going to be great, this guy's going to be awesome. And yes, it is likely that by virtue of just changing what was probably one of the worst offensive coordinators in FBS last season, that is going to be an improvement. But how much that improvement leads to results on the field is a different question. So I think we're going to see something a little bit better. I don't think we're necessarily getting the next Rhett Lashley, who I thought did a great job at UConn and has really continued to succeed uh, basically everywhere that he's stopped so far. But I think that Charlton does have something different for right now. For me, that is good enough, but we'll have to see what happens on the field because otherwise, you know, it's just a different style. Yeah, I'll, I'll say what, what gives me the most optimism in terms of this, besides, again, getting above getting above worse than replacement level, or, um, which is where UConn was previously, is just that I think Charlton has experience coaching with a talent disadvantage and, and really truly understands what that means in terms of your scheme, even on a game-by-game -game basis, like Luke said, maybe one week against, I'm making this up, so please don't at me about some team's rush defense. But, you know, let's say one week against Liberty, you need to go power run because you think that their front seven is weak. And then the next week you want to go pass happy because of uh, you want to exploit a weakness there. If they're able to do that, if they're able to have that, that muscle to be just understanding how offensive strategy needs to evolve and be advanced in this talent disadvantage situation that UConn is in with, with many of its opponents, not all, but a great many of its opponents, that's, that's going to be a big factor. And I, and I think that's, you know, what gives me the most hope for him as the leader of the offense. It's not his yards per game when he was an offensive coordinator, at, you know, at a different school, it's not uh, necessarily the progress of, of his players, though, though a number did earn all league honors, including his quarterback. Uh, when he was OC, but that's really what, what does it for me. And then I think 
in terms of the offense as a whole, we do have other reasons besides just the person in charge. We've discussed this in the past. The last podcast was on key arrivals or key key uh, roster changes. And one of those, of course, is, is the quarterback transfer to Quan Roberson. And that's another reason where I think you can expect the UConn offense to be better just by virtue of let's whether he wins the starting, whether he is the starter or whether he is the backup and loses to, to Pumachan. Even then, if, if number one goes down, which happens all the freaking time in tackle football to not, to not take a step down or a huge step down, potentially going from number one to two on the depth chart. That's great for UConn as well. So I think that's a really good situation for UConn. Even this year, I think the future is a little bit more interesting. Those guys are pretty close together in class. And so if someone does want to be the long-term starter, someone emerges as that, the other person might transfer in a year or two. So that's, you know, but that's like a good problem to have if we have it, right? Let's not worry too much about that. For this year, QB1 and QB2 are better than last year. And I think that's that's huge. How do you guys feel about the quarterback position? Yeah, right now I'm kind of in the same mold right now. I think just the existence of a quarterback battle in camp is a sign of progress. Uh, I know we're kind of setting the bar on the floor here uh, and giving credit to this roster for meeting that. But nonetheless, uh, it's just hard to look at this group right now and say otherwise. I don't know if we have any game breakers uh, this season at QB. But we do have two guys who can come in there who can probably play well in terms of Roberson. I would have liked to see a little more film on him, but you got to make do with what you work with. Pumachan, same story, different reason for not having the same amount of film. But nonetheless, these are two guys who, you know, have an extra year of experience after this past season. With Pumachan, he came in true freshman and, you know, was able to win a starting job for a few games. It's looking better. Uh, that's really all you can say right now. I hope that we have more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like more accolades to give them, like more compliments that we can pay to this group as uh, we get into the season here. But right now, I will just take our incremental steps of progress uh, as a note of optimism as we head into the season. I think that if Charlton really wants to be a tone setter, he'll employ the uh, Todd Berry. University of Louisiana Monroe two quarterback offense where uh, one would take the snap and hand it off to the other who would then throw a pass. I think that if he's really serious, if he's, if he's a dog, I, I think that he comes out firing and I think he uh, continues his offensive innovation that uh, he's uh, had so far in his career. I have unironically recommended that to certain offenses in the past. I have unironically recommended that to UConn in the past. <laughs> you have Sharefs and Pindell on the same roster. You got to put them both on the field. I think that was that was really evident. Even when Sharefs takes the job back in 2017, we still knew, we learned the next year, David Pindell is an, an, an incredible athlete and certainly one of the 11 best offensive players on that roster that year that he was sitting out. So, um, And then remember, I, I really don't want to go there, but I will. Uh, <laughs> Bob Diaco started the 2014 season. Oh. If, if people will recall, he is officially announcing the starting quarterbacks and it is the weirdest thing ever. All three of the contenders for the job were oh, in the yeah. room 
So that was Tim Boyle, Casey Cochran, and Chandler Whitmer. Must okay. Wow. Um, and so those were those were the three. And Bob Diaco literally goes in there and says, kind of, we're gonna have a three-headed, three-headed dragon at at QB. And that's basically that what happened until Casey Cochran had to retire, bless his soul. Mm-hmm. And um uh, looked like you know just Whitmer kind of emerged as as the guy there. I think Boyle may have got hurt as well, but um, anyway, the two QB thing, uh, <laughs> something to think about for an innovator. But I will just to quickly go back to the 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 dudes on this roster. Pumachan and Pumachan and Roberson are also similar in size and and the type of player that they are, and I think that's also good for UConn. It just means you don't have to change it all up when you're going again from QB one to QB two, if that needs to happen, or you're benching QB one for QB two in previous years. Sometimes it was kind of like, well, one guy's more of a pocket passer and one guy's more of a runner or something like that. Whatever you want I mean, to call the it. Paul Pascaloni offense, they had a guy come out to take snaps, at quarterback who was purely there as a wildcat QB and ran the ball every single time. Great offense, yeah. Paul. And yeah, I think he took the most snaps at QB that year. I think if I if we're talking about the same season, but um, so that's good too for the QBs is just a little bit of consistency at the top of the depth chart. I think that will serve those guys well. And I think well, just oh, go ahead. Well, while we're on the topic of QBs, can we make it a a note just in general to everyone out here listening to stop with the Puma stuff for oh Puma John? Because Tyler is perfect. I'm as pretty a sure he name. said. I'm pretty sure he said he. Uh, it's not what he wants to be referred to by. And if I'm incorrect, you can cut this part out. But it's it's no, just no. not something that that it's funny. It's not a great nickname. It's not very creative. And I, I just think that uh, I think Puichon's fine. I think Tyler's fine. So that's that's my uh, that's that's my uh, a charge to y'all. You yeah. listeners. Thank, thank you for saying that. I have been thinking that for a while as well. Um, it's not his name. And that's pretty much it, right? That's that's where it should end right there. And the other piece of, of doing that is saying that like his full name is not worth writing out or, or committing to memory or, or what have you. None it's of like those the Bill good. Simmons like thinking it's funny to funny to, to uh, call Giannis like alphabet suit or like purposely <clears throat> yeah. pronouncing this. <laughs> this is not good stuff yeah no thank you really thank you for bringing that up that is a perfect podcast topic you know uh, because we don't want to antagonize anyone on the record on our on our social medias or, or website but I think that's a really good point <laughs> uh, I will antagonize people but it's mostly going to be Syracuse fans <laughs> and they deserve it yeah you know, charlton charlton's a boston college grad so there is um Uh-oh. we're gonna have to do a little bit of uh you know what's it called compartmentalizing with that if <laughs> if he does end up doing well mm-hmm. but you know the quarterbacks the other thing is just from the from a very pure football what are you excited to see on the field that's Taquan Roberson and and Tyler Pumachon. To whatever extent you know, either of those guys are on the field, 
I'm very excited to see, especially Roberson, I, I would say, you know, who is a unknown quantity to us, uh, unknown entity to us at this point in terms of what he does bring to the table. That's going to be really exciting, even for the Utah State game, which is probably not going to be close. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be certainly interesting for the Central Connecticut game, where hopefully he should dominate, and, and if not, not be the starter. And then Syracuse in week three, week two, uh, to see what what you know what what kind of levels whoever is the starter could potentially raise UConn to. So that's a really exciting thing to watch because the QB play, of course, is a is a massive determinant of the trajectory of a team. So if the, if if whoever it is gets off to a good start in those in those first few weeks, that that could could mean big things, and we have reason to again be optimistic for those guys to look decent you know really the thing with the unknown quantity is that for the most part in the history of UConn football that has not always been a good thing I think we're finally turning the corner of where our unknown quantities are intriguing and interesting and worth paying attention to and not to keep harping on this but that is just a huge difference Roberson I think is I, I think he's the starter right now. Um, I'm not really sure if Pumachan's going to end up winning the job over him just because he was a pretty unpolished quarterback last year. You could see the raw talent. You could see the skills that he did develop, but there was a lot of things that he really wasn't doing great either and just unpolished. So I think with the injury and having to take a lot of time off, he might not be where he is right uh, he might not be where he should have been at this point had he been healthy all off season. Nonetheless, all those skills are still going to be there. Uh, if he, you know, completely surprises and really made strides this off season, he could definitely end up as the starter as a result. But as for now, I think we treat Roberson as the guy. I think that we're probably going to have more of a run first offense, but looking downfield to these big targets, to these guys at wide receiver to see what happens. And that's probably going to be what we run out for Utah State. So let's get into that. If the running game is going to be a big component, then the running backs, uh, of course, will need to be up to the task. Luke, you worked on the running backs preview which is going to drop soon on UConnHuskyFootball.substack.com or UConn Football Forum. Um, how do you feel about the running backs going into this season and, and who are some of the guys to watch? So I think that obviously number one is uh, Nate Carter. I think that uh, he's proven that he, he's, a pretty, he's a pretty solid running back. He, he hits the whole heart hard. He, he moves his feet. He has, he has pretty decent vision for uh, someone of his, of his age, or at least he, he sh- that's what he showed last year. As a freshman, it definitely seemed like it was good experience for him and, for him and not like some of the other uh, younger players that have featured in uh, UConn's offenses and defenses in uh, recent years. It didn't really seem too big for him. It seemed like he, he really fit into the team. And I, I think he's definitely the player that I'm – most excited about heading into the season uh, from a running back standpoint. I don't think he's going to mess around and be far and away the best player on the offense, but I think that he'll, he'll do a job. He has pass catching skills will uh, definitely, uh, definitely help him out in this uh, new offense. I think that uh, uh, Charlton isn't really known for 
pass catching running back specifically, but it's something that he has utilized in the past. I think that uh, it's, uh, in the past couple of seasons, uh, the starting running back has, has uh, had over double digit receptions in each of them. So I, I think that's something we can look out for. I think that uh, the other guy I'm excited about is uh, the uh, Juco transfer, Will Knight. After the recording of this podcast, we found out that Will Knight has put his name in the transfer portal and may not be suiting up for UConn after all. We will now resume the running backs preview with the next name on the list. Another guy, and uh, I don't even know if I, if throwing him in the running backs category is the right thing, but uh, Bruton, uh, whenever we talk about special teams, it's hard not to bring him up. It's hard not to bring him up when talking about uh, uh, any of the dynamic uh, facets of the UConn program. He's, uh, I mean, you've seen the highlight. You've seen uh, the Army kick return. You've seen especially the Clemson kick return. He brings a lot of chaotic energy to the team. I think it was the Clemson one where he dropped it on inside of the one-yard line. They had a 360, picked it back up, and didn't really seem like he had a plan until he burst past the last uh, the last rusher. And that, this was this was the first uh, it was the first kick of the game, so it wasn't like these were Clemson's backups in there either. Awesome. He was he he chaos he chaos energyed his way to the end zone, and I appreciate that. And uh, that's something that I want to see more of. You want to impress me, Nick? Give me more Brian Bruton. Put the ball in his hands. Let him do something really stupid. And maybe it'll end up in touchdown. That's my pitch. Tucker, I've heard that you're quite high on, on Bruton as well. Are those rumors true? You know, yes and no. Apparently, I'm not quite as high on him as Luke is, although I think he's a genuine asset to the team. Uh, obviously, when you have a guy who can, you know, take it to the house on kickoffs um, and, you know, to say nothing about the time when we would just simply fair catch every single punt return. Uh, we do remember those days back in uh, the Diaco era. But in terms of Burton specifically, I think that he is best used, utilized as more of a gadget back and as a return specialist rather than a bell cow uh, running back, rather than even like a true number two, maybe even a true number three running back at this stage in his career development. I think that there are uh, definitely plays that we can use to utilize his skills in the offense that we're actually running and just kind of incorporate it seamlessly. But I think those are going to happen few and far between. Uh, I think that that's a guy that you throw out there to take a minority of the snaps and while giving your rest of, uh, while giving the rest of your guys a break, you can also at the same time, you know, have a guy out there who has the potential to, you know, get a 10 yard first down or, you know, take it 25 yards downfield. That's just not going to work every time though. One guy I also wanted to highlight who Luke didn't mention, who might have an interesting role in kind of a similar thing is Devane Houston. Um, also not a large guy, a little bit taller than uh, Bruton, although really uh, who isn't on this roster. Um, but this is a guy who actually caught quite a few passes last year when he was on the field. Uh, he didn't take that many snaps, but he had 11 receptions to four carries. And I think when we saw Arkel Newsom out there a few years ago, we really understood the value of a pass catching running back. And I think that Houston is the guy to be that when, uh, when necessary. And maybe Will Knight is that too. I really haven't seen too much of him just yet, but if we know that Houston can be pretty good in that role, that's a pathway to snaps for him as well. And that can really change the complexion of the offense, especially in the formations we can run. 
So Houston, one guy I think that's worth mentioning also. Uh, Bruton I quite like. Of course, I'm very high on Nate Carter. I, I really do think that he's, you know, at, <laughs> he's got the potential to be, and I hate to compare him to a Syracuse guy, a Sean Tucker type. Uh, and that's a guy who was, I believe, second team All-American last year. And I think that's what the potential is down the road for Carter as well. So, you know, as a unit, I think that they're definitely improving. I think that, you know, one more year of experience with mostly the same crew is going to do nothing but help. And I think that we have a lot of options to run certain formations that we wouldn't have been able to do last year. So we're in a better spot. Uh, I like the talent we have. I just don't want to put all of my, you know, pennies in one basket here. That's a metaphor I made up to get through, uh, you know, just to put Bruton on the field all the time or to put Knight on the field all the time, or even with Carter, because no matter how good you are at running back, you got to take some snaps off. Yeah, it's a, it's an, it's definitely a group with guys who can bring different things to the table. And I think that plays well to keeping everyone fresh, keeping folks in happy in rotational roles and seeing who can earn playing time beyond Carter, because it does seem like there will be carries, snaps, touches to go around. Bruton, we had a little bit of an internal discussion about whether he should be counted on the among the um, <laughs> receivers or running backs, but I think, he is I think a running, running back. backs is fine. <laughs> yeah, and um, on the same topic of, of tweeners, a couple of guys who we did include in our wide receiver preview who maybe also fall into this category guys keep me honest if i'm if i'm off on this but i think aaron turner falls into that that mold very much as well he was he's very much that water bug type of player um the kind who can catch passes out of the backfield motion out wide to the slot or something like that um and then as a transfer dejon harrison from texas I'm really just going based on his size here. I'm doing a little, <laughs> little, dis little discrimination, but um, you know, he was also um, he's someone who also might, might fit into that mold uh, where it's like, is he a running back? Is he a receiver? Who cares? He's making plays for the offense. It's possible. I, you know, we, we'll get into that group a little bit later, but I think there's, there's, there's potential there from, from those guys. The receivers as a whole are a group that I have to say I'm very excited about. It's too bad that the quality of that room does not necessarily make it a game changer for the team because in order to get the most out of good receivers, you also need a good offensive line. You need a good quarterback. You need a good strategy. And then it all comes together and receivers end up being productive. We are not sure what that's like at UConn. Um, even our, our last really good receiver, Noel Thomas, I would not say was um, schemed for well, you know, or, or anything like that. So again, just there's a lot to be excited about because you've got Marion, Keelan Marion, who looks like a, a very traditional number one receiver. He's a South Carolina native. He was playing high school ball in Atlanta, came in and immediately made a difference for UConn. Uh, someone who I think is going to be really good. And then Tucker, you brought them up, the guys who were missing all of last year, but who were the guys who this time last year, we were saying, ha, we're excited about what Cam Ross and Matt Drayton can bring to the table as, as their encore. 
unfortunately, Drayton played zero games and Ross played, I think, in two. So those guys returning, uh, hopefully they're, they're, they're not dealing with any lingering effects of the injury because those were early season injuries, preseason or early season injuries. I think we have good reason to believe that's the case. And with Marion and Ross, let's just remind folks, Ross's 2019 freshman season, 60 receptions, 723 yards, four touchdowns. That is, those are uh, monster numbers for the UConn offense in 2019, if, if we put that into perspective. And just again, sign that he's a guy, signs that he's a guy who can make plays. So Marion, Ross, really strong one too. Drayton, like you said, someone we were excited about. And then, and then the injury is going to lose. We're losing a little Drayton momentum because it's not like he was that productive as, um, uh, as a freshman, but still to be productive as a freshman, that's, that's great. So I think those three are fairly solid in terms of where they are. But then after that, it's, it really is pretty wide open and there are a lot of dudes who could potentially fill in, in, in key contributing roles. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll toss one out to the, uh, you know, the, the people who are listening of a certain age right now. And I'll say that the Marion Ross wide receiver duo is going to lead to happy days. It's a reference to the actress who played Richie Cunningham's mother on Happy Days, whose name was Marion Ross. But nonetheless, as we continue into the actual football part here, um, this is a solid unit right now. I, I think that everybody there is a question mark in one shape, like one way, shape, or form, but they're all in ways that make me think positively, right? It's can Keelan Marion become a true number one? Is Cam Ross ready to do this with a do, do the same thing he did in 2019 with a deeper, wider base of guys who also can get receptions? Uh, is Matt Drayton going to be healthy and pick up where he left off? Uh, are any of the three transfers that we've got coming in all from, uh, well, two of them from power conference schools and one of them a grad transfer who had a very good season a few years ago? Are any of them going to step up and become assets in, you know, like a plus asset sort of way? Uh, Kevin's Clercius, is he going to continue what he did last year with what he showed potential out of? All of these are good questions to have. And they make us think that, at least they make me think, that half of those, if not more, are going to be yes. And that's going to be the big key is just basically everything that we're not sure of. Where can we set this to where? Uh, where where can we set this to where half of the answers are going to be yes. And if you're getting questions like that, then that's going to be in a good place because you know that some of these guys are going to be better than expected. You know, some of them are maybe not going to reach their expectations this season, but with the expectations where they are, that's a really good sign because they're all just, you're giving yourself so many opportunities for those questions to be answered. Yes. And I think given the depth, given the talent that everybody has shown so far, uh, given three more or less unknowns, but that are coming from good pedigrees, good schools, it's looking pretty good there at wide receiver. So I, I think that this is definitely one of the, if not the biggest uh, strength among positional units on UConn this year. Luke, how are you feeling about the wide receivers? I think you guys pretty much hit all the beats. I do think that uh, ha having a guy like 
Fitzgerald out there, even though he, he's had a little, a couple struggles in his career. I think I an injury or two along the way. He's, he, he put up pretty big numbers uh, pre-COVID at Old Dominion, and he put up pretty decent numbers on a, a terrible, terrible 1-11 team out there. And I think that it, UConn, it's a good a fresh start for him. And I think just having a guy of his size is a pretty pretty good, pretty big safety blanket for uh, these these quarterbacks. And uh, obviously, in the case of Fumachani, not a not a new quarterback, but uh, he's certainly not as experienced. It's I don't think we can count it as a second full year with the program. And uh, same with Robertson, he's been around for a while, but he hasn't seen a lot of game time uh, at, at his previous stop. So I think just having a, a big dude who could go up and get it is a pretty good uh pretty pretty good asset to have, and it's certainly a certainly sort of a punt for the UConn offense in, in terms of potential. Like, it's certainly possible that he, he just might not be the same player he was, but I think it's a risk worth, worth taking, and I don't think it's a, it's a super long shot that he pans out and gets a couple receptions, and if he does, then he'll definitely operate as a, as a good option for whoever steps in at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, if, if he even just plays the role of, you know, the red zone guy who they throw that corner fade to, or or whatever you know the the jump ball to, and catches two touchdowns. That's tremendous. That that would be really great for for him in this year in this situation. One thing to note about um, Fitzgerald, he's listed on the Old Dominion roster as six foot five, but unfortunately, over the course of his travels and maybe an injury even affected him too. He's he's lost two inches. He's listed as six foot three on the Yukon roster. So um, gravity is stronger the further you get later. <laughs> so, you know, moving north. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's got to be it. But mm-hmm. that's a great yeah, excuse for you, Tucker. It really is. <laughs> so so, Gerald, <laughs> that's what I put on hinge. Yeah, I know. I'm a premium <laughs> 610 in Connecticut. Oh, no. <laughs> Ladies, find Tucker on hinge. Um, so... <laughs> Fitzgerald is someone who is the tallest receiver on the roster as, as far as we know. Elijah Jeffries is uh, also 6'4", 6'5". He's listed on the spring roster, but in the transfer portal. No official word on where he's at or what's his deal, but tall guys are important in this in this position. And so the only other person with, with you could say, size is Clercius at 6'2". Uh, so that is an advantage that those guys have, but I do think the transfers, we, we discussed them in the last podcast as well. They are, they are very much unknowns in terms of the, the ones who, the one who came from Texas and the one who came from Boston college, both three-star recruits did not play at all. Well, uh, well, sorry, Ethan Williams from Boston college saw the field a little bit as a, as a freshman, which, you know, all of these things, they're, they're kind of like equal. It's like, okay, seeing the field for Boston College, not seeing the field, but getting recruited to Texas and producing a little bit as a freshman at, at Old Dominion. Those are all kind of this and being tall. Those are all like kind of equal for me in terms of an anticipation going into the season. And the benefit is just more competition for the room, pushing people like 
Perseus and Drayton so they don't feel like their jobs are rock solid no matter what they do or how hard they work. And still tons of upside for all of those guys. They were super talented coming out of school. Uh, Dejon Harrison, the one from Texas, his, his offer list was, was really incredible. Uh, loads of P5 schools. So um, it's just one of those things where who knows what they'll do this year. These are guys who are going to be in, in the case of Harrison and, and Williams. These are guys who are going to be on the roster for another three or four years. So uh, there's, there's really big upside, not just for, you know, what they can bring to the team this year, but what they might be a couple of years down the road, which um, we always know nothing is a guarantee. Uh, Nigel Fitzgerald's a graduate student. So um, he's a grad transfer. So I'm not sure what his situation is in terms of eligibility. And um, he was not super productive either, even in, even in his uh, action at, at Old Dominion, it was 14 receptions for, for 219 yards. Uh, good, for, good for a freshman and, and a good yards per reception clip, which, which are good signs. He still managed uh, to be the second leading receiver on that team, though. They just they couldn't they just couldn't throw the ball. Well, it sounds familiar. I mean, two two hundred nineteen. Uh, you're you're pushing second if you do that at UConn in the last couple of years. So, but at, at any rate, I think will be really interesting to see how those guys go up against Drayton, Clercius, Turner in the competition for playing time. And even Drayton, I think, who who doesn't have as solid a hold on on that third spot that that we've put him at in in this hypothetical depth chart that we're making, even his position is is probably not rock solid. So and and any of those former three star recruits or Fitzgerald could be the one that unseats him because we just don't know what what those guys are right now. Moving on from the receivers. Tucker, you were the one who did the bulk of the, the tight ends preview. Um, always an interesting group for, for UConn. Not a group that we're expecting a ton out of. And last year's most productive and uh, tight end and, and the starter, Jay Rose, has moved on. So what does the tight end position look like this year? Who are we expecting to be the, the guys who see the most snaps there? Uh, I think the name of the game this year for tight end position is inexperience. You've got five guys on the roster right now uh, who all of them are sophomores or younger. Nobody is older than the class of 2019 for high school graduation. There just isn't many years on these guys yet. In college football, most of the teams are playing their upperclassmen over and over, and age doesn't come into play as much, but inexperience is going to be basically what we have for tight ends right now. Incidentally, and this is also part of my biggest question mark for the overall offense, is that UConn could start, not even with much of a stretch, eight sophomores on their offense this year. Uh, there's going to be a lot of inexperience, and it's going to stand out most at tight end. Uh, so Brandon Nimbensky is going to be the number one starter. Uh, he played a lot last year. He was a number two behind Jay Rose. Looked pretty solid decent blocker, decent pass catcher. He's going to improve. Definitely the experience helped him of uh, being not quite a starter, but getting a lot of snaps as a freshman. Uh, he's going to be the number one guy. There's no question about that. After that is where there's kind of a jumble. 
Uh, one of the guys who was on the roster last year did not see the field was Brendan Heatherman uh, out of Mountain View High School in Stafford, Virginia. Yes, I'm bringing up uh, the region of my hometown once again. Uh, he's got potential. He's pretty sizey also. Uh, definitely a big body who can really throw that around make some blocks, and hopefully he's a pretty good pass catcher as well. I did catch one of his high school games at one point when I was covering that. Did look like he had pretty solid hands, but that was high school. So uh, not 100% sure what this pass catching is going to look like at the FBS level yet. And therein lies the question marks that we have for everybody. Uh, Russell Dixon has seen a lot of playing time over the last season, uh, but that was pretty much entirely on special teams. I do think that it's good that our most experienced guy was there out, uh, yikes, out on the field, uh, regardless of the shape that his snaps took. But, you know, they're all special teams. It doesn't show one way or another what type of player he actually is right now. I think he's going to be used mostly in a blocking role rather than a pass catching one. Uh, but he's also the smallest tight end on the roster right now. And that provides some trouble for his pathway to snaps as well. There's also Bo Estes, who transferred out of, I believe, Northeastern Oklahoma A&M, which was a JUCO. Uh, he looked like he had pretty good speed. He runs the field pretty well, but that was not an offense that passed the ball whatsoever. Uh, he caught three passes all of last season in, I believe, 10 games, just because they really do not throw the ball at all. Uh, nonetheless, you know, if you run the field pretty well as a tight end, I'm always going to think that you've got some potential that you can tap into. Uh, he was not in Juco long, so he's still a young guy, uh, plenty of room to mold him into the type of player that this offense thinks he's capable of becoming. And then finally, we've got a true freshman in Justin Jolie. Uh, I think he's got potential, but uh, even with this unit as a true freshman, I don't expect him to play all that much. Uh, he'll probably get into four games, uh, get the maximum, get the red shirt. Uh, I think that's a guy you keep around for the future. For sure, you kind of want to appease the your freshman talent that you do have to redshirt right now. Um, but right now, I think that it's going to be a battle for number two on the depth chart between Heatherman, Dixon, and Estes. I have absolutely no idea who's going to take over that number two spot. I think all of them have their pros and cons right now. But really, the key to success at tight end is going to be whether Naminsky is taking the step forward and can reasonably replace J Rose or exceed that. Uh, if you can approximate what J Rose did last season and J Rose was, I thought one of UConn's best offensive players last year, which I know is not saying much, but that's all he needs to do in order to become an asset at the starter position. I think he can do that. I think that he's going to be on an upward trajectory but those are pretty big shoes to fill, and there's just going to be a lot of question marks at tight end this year. Yeah, I mean, if this was a group that was more integral to the success of, of the team, I'd be super worried about it, to, to be honest, because <laughs> of the inexperience and um, kind of the lack of people who are traditional size and skill fits to be major contributors at the position. But I think having really quality tight ends is probably a luxury for UConn at this time and one that they don't need to think too hard about. And, and they're going to be working to develop the position to, like Tucker said, hopefully a point where one or two years down the road, a couple of these guys emerge, maybe add another transfer, and it is a more solid unit. But for now, I would say we can temper our expectations from that group. Not going to be anyone too 
too game breaking from the tight end position playing for UConn this year. To go into the offensive line a little bit, I think this is the place where projecting the starters is almost a fool's errand given how many new players were were added to the roster via the transfer portal. I think six or seven offensive linemen. Um, Those guys are meant to bring depth. Some are meant to be immediate starters, but we do not necessarily know who is who from that group. Um, Tucker, any, any returning players on the O-line you want to highlight that, that, you know, it's uh, good for UConn to have still on the roster right now? You know, there's a couple uh, that I think are, you know, potential standouts. I think Valentin Sen, I mentioned him in one of the earlier podcasts that we did uh, with his size. And he's, I think, pretty clearly uh, one of the biggest guys on the team right now. Uh, That's a guy that you could theoretically move around a little bit. He's got pretty good footwork from what I've seen. I think that, uh, you know, now that he's a sophomore, you can put him in a couple more roles and really get some more playing time out of him. Uh, And Chris Fortin as well, the dude from Quebec, uh, also a big body, played more interior last year. And I think that he's going to stay in that same role. But I think that, you know, if he is at either guard or center, then that opens up opportunities for UConn to run a few guys, you know, in and out, get the cycle, get the rotations going. And he'll just be an asset to the team uh, because you know where you can park him and use him correctly. So uh, those are two guys who I think have some potential to break out this year and really stand out even more. Um, But, you know, my hopes for the offensive line this year really focus on, you know, the overall depth and being able to replace a guy with, without losing much if somebody goes down or if one of your starters from week one or excuse me, week zero isn't exactly what you expected in terms of quality. Well, here's another guy who can actually play. And that's going to be the biggest help. Luke, anyone from you on the offensive line uh, in terms of returning players that you think are going to be a plus for the team? I'd like to be wrong. I think overall the offensive line position position is the, the part of the Yukon offense that I feel the least optimistic about, strangely enough, which typically doesn't bode super well for an offense. But again, uh, think about what we're used to watching Yukon football. Uh, eventually we'll get to a point where we expect these things to sort of have a, have a baseline and build off of each other and have backups that are groomed to be starters and have uh, that that sort of that sort of rotation on, on both of the uh, trench lines of trenches, the offensive and defensive side of the ball. But I just don't think we're there yet. And I think is this is one area where it's might remind us that even though there is all this optimism optimism about uh, the coaching change, it is still a coaching change, and there's a lot of turnover there. And that's uh that's one area where that, that might handicap how uh how high this UConn offense can fly, uh, relatively speaking. Absolutely. And, and you bring up another good point, which is just that a returning starter does not necessarily mean it's a good thing. Um, we, I think we've learned that in the past few years with UConn offensive lines when we go, ah, three out of four starters from last year are returning or four out of five from last year are returning. But if it wasn't that great of an offensive line, uh, and, you know, if they're all they're all juniors and kind of at the top of their their potential, it's um, 
does not mean that much. With all due respect to anyone who has played offensive line for UConn in the past 10 years or so. I will say, though, two names that we just should bring up. I know I just said take games played with a grain of salt and, and all of that, but Christian Haynes is someone who has been a two-year every-game starter for UConn at the guard position. That's good. I think he is someone you can probably say is is penciled in there or maybe even inked in there in a, in a starting role. And then um, Chase Lunt at, at right tackle, someone who I think looks pretty solid emerging as, as a starter last season. I think he uh, started all but one game. So those are just two guys, you know, in terms of returning players who I am happy to see returning for UConn because I think they're good. Lunt is a redshirt sophomore, while um, Haynes is a is a redshirt junior. So those are those are guys who played well, and again, uh, still have a couple more years to give. But yeah, projecting the starters here is going to be really tough. Suffice it to say, I, I I do think again all those reasons we said certainly is a question mark, but I I do think it will be a better unit by how much, maybe not that much. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at with the, with the offensive line. I think it'll be a better unit eventually. I think uh, halfway through the season, we're, we're, we're almost certainly looking at it, but looking at a better unit than last year. But um, at the start, there is going to be some, uh, some new, uh, some cohesion to be built. And, and, you know, look, it's, it's just really tough. I, I think something that a lot of UConn fans, maybe if they're not so familiar with all of college football and maybe they're more NFL fans, this is a line I have a lot as it relates to UConn and UConn football fans. Um, every single team needs offensive linemen and you can't just go grab a replacement level player off of waivers or free agency during the season, especially um, today, the transfer portal and such makes it so that you can do a little bit of better roster management year to year if if things go bad for some reason. But the other thing is just there are only so many athletic high school seniors that are the requisite height and weight that coaches are and strength that coaches are looking for at, at, at this position. A lot of college offensive linemen move to the D-line, they'll move to tight end, some will move to fullback. If you look at a lot of high school offensive lines, there's some people that are, you know, under 250 pounds on, on high school offensive lines. And so it's just hard. There's, there's every single team needs them. There's no difference in what kind of player you need, depending on the scheme that you run, more or less. Uh, you still just want big, beefy dudes that are strong and can move people and have good leverage. And so I think for UConn and really any G5 team, it's, it's just one of those things where O-line is not something you can count on, on having. And it's, and it's always a battle year to year. And I think it was actually a point of strength for UConn in the Big East years, I, I felt like. But that has certainly gone away over the last eight or so years in, in my observation. And then just seeing kind of the rest of the AAC for the most part, except for those elite teams, the ones that mostly moved on to P5 
status sort of uh, recently. Aside from the very top of the conference, that was the case throughout the league and and really throughout any of the G5. So that is just the plight of, of being in this, occupying this space on the power structure because everyone needs O-linemen. So again, happy to have bodies in there, happy to have depth so that if one or two guys get hurt, it's not someone who was at their high school prom six months ago lining up against the starting defensive line of Michigan, right? Which is something that might've happened under a different head coach. So hmm. I think that's yeah. something that did happen uh, under <laughs> a different head coach. Uh, I'm pretty sure there was at least one true freshman last year during the Purdue game who was charged with blocking George Karloftis. Uh, and that is not recommended. Here's what, here's what we will do for, for the, the final question. If you had to pick one player on the offense as most likely to play in the NFL, who is that for you guys? Huh. I take it by the silence here Mm. that we don't have one great answer that stands out right now. So I'm going to say Nate Carter. Uh, Obviously he's, you know, the best player that's proven right now on the roster. So that might be a bit of a cop-out answer, but if he really improves over the course of his career, the way that I think he does, even with the NFL devaluing the running back over the past 10 seasons, I think that's a guy who maybe gets, you know, sixth, seventh round draft pick uh, in two years time. And, you know, kind of in that Jordan Todman role who did see the field at some points for the Jacksonville Jaguars that's the sort of career trajectory that a guy like Carter could have. I like that for him. Todman was obviously a really great player here in stores and also East Hartford. Um, but that, that's the sort of guy who I think Carter could become with a little more seasoning, a little more experience, getting older. So I'm going to say that he's the most likely to eventually play in the NFL, even if I don't really see him being an NFL star. Although if he proves me wrong, I would love that. I think a guy like Chase Lund has the most potential. To, it's kind of a kind of a long shot. I mean, he's got he's really got the the prototypical frame for an offensive tackle, and we've seen guys come through UConn before and play in the offensive line and make it to the NFL. I know it's kind of spacious reasoning, but I, I really think he does have the measurables for it. It's all in how much they see in his technique, how much he can improve. He's only a redshirt sophomore, so he's got a he's got a couple more years with uh, with UConn before he has to make that before he uh, uh, can move on, and he's got some time to to improve and uh, really establish himself as uh, as one of the senior members of the offensive line with the departure of a uh, guy or of a uh, Vandermark. So I think nice. that, that's kind of a long shot answer. I, I think that's a good choice. Uh, the reasoning makes total sense there. And it's, it is about frame and upside, especially at the next level. Um, and something that I think, you know, with Nate Carter, we, ha- we have also seen former productive Husky running backs not necessarily make it in the NFL. I'm, of course, thinking of Terry Colley, oh, uh, oh, a sure. fan 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 favorite who who seemed like a great player and didn't necessarily uh get that chance at the next level 
there are other guys I'm forgetting their names right now. Uh, but, but I think that's a good, good example of just running back is tough, man. It's, it's, there's a lot of people there. My, my guess was going to be an offensive lineman as well. I was going to say Christian Haynes, who I, who I brought up earlier as a returning player to be potentially excited about. He's got good size for a guard, six foot three. He's been a starter for two years. He may be for two more. And if he can continue to progress and grow under the tutelage of Jim Mora and uh, Nick Charlton, I think, I think he could, he could be one of those guys who finds his way into the draft conversation. Guard is not necessarily a sexy position. It's not necessarily a position that people run for in the draft. It's not DB. It's not edge rusher. But I, I do think um, in a field that is not particularly strong where we don't see tons of, of, of candidates jumping off the page, I'm going to go fairly safe and go with the, the guard who is, has the good size and has been starting. It's a tough choice though. It's, it was, a. <laughs> but Hey, you know, UConn has sent guys to the league and, and even through these down years has mm-hmm. sent players from both sides of the ball, despite at different times, not being good at either side of the ball or both sides of the ball. So, um, Someone's going someone's gonna to do it. Maybe not from this offense, but... You'd have to think there. The odds are in somebody's favor here. Maybe. Maybe. Hey. <laughs> That's going to do it for us today. Hope you enjoyed listening.